And welcome, welcome, welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I do thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We are uh, always bringing to you always, I think, very interesting, uh, enlightening, insightful, inspirational guests and subject matter, and today is no different, and especially when you think about uh, poetry. A lot of folks uh, might say, "Eh, I don't care much for poetry, and then I ask, do you listen to music? Who are your favorite singers? And they'll tell me, and I, so, um, do you ever just read the lyrics? That's poetry, and they've put it to music, basically. So you do like poetry. It's just, in your case, it's with music. Well, I like poetry, too. Uh, Never been one to write it, but our guest has put together a book called Blown Into Now, Poems for a Journey. Milo Schaff is my guest, along with... Uh, she has a photographer who is not joining us, unfortunately, but Alex uh, Lowenstein or Lowenstein? Lowenstein. Lowenstein. And uh, Milo, thank you so much for joining us on the program. It's it's a pleasure to have you with us, and, uh, and it's a bar- very beautiful compilation of work that you've uh, you've put together. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate being here and being invited to talk to you, and I appreciate the people who are listening. I, uh, I too, uh, am appreciative, especially considering that, though the numbers are less relevant to me, but I, I, they're relevant enough that I mention them, I, we're talking about 85,500 listens just on the podcasts alone in the last four and a half years, and um, we're getting close to our, our 15th anniversary of this program, so it's really kind of exciting, and we're also on YouTube, so uh, folks can not only listen to, but watch this interview if they like as well. We'll talk about more of uh, those uh, little particulars a little bit later, uh, but um, what is it about poetry uh, that, that, uh, that, that strikes you so that you've put this together for us? Well, first, let me say that I think you're exactly right, that that poetry, that that um, music and, and song is is what poetry is for our generation. And um, I I'd love to have someone put my poems to music, but I haven't I don't know how to accomplish that. Um, so what it is about poetry is I I've been writing for a long time, but not uh, necessarily poetry um, a little in a little bit. But then my son passed on. And the mm. poems sort of demanded to be written. It was a way to understand what I was going through and mark the passages and the important events that occurred. And so I couldn't not write. Um, and in the process of that writing, I realized um, this has been now 12 years. And I realized that this could be shared because I'd learned a lot. And this could be shared with other people because there are so many displaced people or people in um, climactic um, tragedies or COVID epidemic uh, deaths, that it's it's unlike um, anything that I've known um, mm-hmm. or, or, or we've known for some generations. So I'm really, um, that's what, what, why I have the connection to poetry. Well, I'm going to be talking with uh, someone in the near future here about uh, something that <clears throat> we have never experienced in light of what you've just said, and that is um, not so much crisis. This person deals in crisis management, but what a term that has been fo- uh, that has been uh, coined, and I probably will catch on, called 
polycrisis. We have never dealt with so many at one time uh, in human history. And um, uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation. So, you know, I mean, and, that, and what you're talking about is so true. Uh, I, I myself, just in the last 12 months, I've been through some very interesting times. Uh, <laughs> as, as the Chinese proverb says, may you live in interesting times. Well, quite honestly, we always do. But um, it actually brought out a poem in me that I put to music. And actually, it was kind of the other way around where I was actually trying to write a song with a facilitator. I'd never written one before. Uh, you know, I've written. Uh, I'm actually working on my book. So when you first started out, your your photographer, Alex uh, Lowenstein, did he, were the photographs taken after or did you use the the pictures that he took as sort of uh, a little bit of musing? Uh, so Alex Lonestein is is the son that passed on, and the pictures that he took, um, he was uh, a veteran, um, a world traveler, a peace and conflict scholar, and a mountaineer, and mm. he traveled around the world um, and took these amazing photographs, um, climbing Denali. Um, uh, climbing Kilimanjaro, uh, going through um, parts of Africa that were the, um, the you know, total jungle, um, working with, uh, I guess you'd call them gangs that bring people into certain areas that are that are too dangerous to uh, to access otherwise. Mm-hmm. And and so we had um, many amazing photos, and I after I'd written the poems and and decided to put the book together, I went to the portfolio of his photographs and found ones that seemed to fit. And the the reason I felt so fortunate to have those photographs is most of them are landscapes of um, amazing nature, beautiful, wild. And so they accompany each poem and they they allow you to kind of um, take a pause from from grief and um, from what you're thinking about, which may be difficult topics in your own life or difficult um, losses, and kind of renew your spirit and 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 tell you other stories, like um, standing under prayer flags in Nepal, etc. So they take you to other places that bring relief. Mm. Well, he he is a man after my own heart when it comes to photography. I I love taking pictures, not necessarily with my phone. I still have my father's 35-millimeter Argus. That's got to go back to the 50s, and it still works. Uh, I haven't loaded it recently, but I still have it. And uh, I always love taking landscapes or panoramic kinds of things, not necessarily in that long panoramic view, but just in terms of, you know the the skylines and those kinds of things, uh, and it's just it, it. There's something about that kind of image uh, of a landscape, uh, and and in this case, you know these are uh, landscapes of uh, natural settings. It's beautiful work that that he has done. Thank you. Um, was it hard going through those photographs for you when you first started? It was hard. Um, photographs can make your grief more acute 
but they can also make you remember the good times. Um, these were his photographs, and so I wasn't I wasn't there for for many of them. Um, but but that's one of when I think of why this book was written, it's to help people to guide people through grief, to look at things that help that I learned. And, and one of them was looking at old photos where we were together as a family and thinking about that time and thinking about how lucky we were to be together for as long as we were. Mm-hmm. Now, this particular work that you've uh, published, uh, Blown Into Now, Poems for a Journey. Tell us a little bit about uh, the title, Blown Into Now. Where did that come from? Um, it's a phrase in one of my poems, and it has to do with um, realizing that my son was all around, and I just have to, you know, to kind of listen. Um, and he's there. Um, and sadness is one of the ways to remember how sweet, um, how what a not a not a what's the word saccharine sweet, but mm-hmm. what amazing person he was. Um, so that's, and then my friends helped me with the second part, uh, a journey, um, um, sorry, um, when we were, we were sitting around and, and we were trying to f- find a title, they um, suggested journey in, into now, it journey, um, I'm sorry, Blown into poems now. for journey, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm getting a little nervous, that's all right, um, poems for journey, and because they said, you know, you have to express that it is, you know, a path that you're going through, and it's a path that gets better. And and, and this is and and you're expressing how that is. Yeah, we're talking with uh, Milo Schaff, author of um, the compilation, not only of poems but of photographs from her son, her late son, blown into now poems for a journey. And you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's really a pleasure to have. Uh, Milo Schaff with us here on the program to not only share her poems, but the photographs of her son. I have to tell you that, as I've mentioned probably many times on this program since it happened, uh, I lost my eldest sister back in March of 2022. And and um, it's interesting how the, the only place that I can recall the feelings of grief as far as what most people might view grief as, you know, the tears and the sadness and all of that, the melancholy, was really at her memorial a month after her passing. And it was when her husband uh, shared with us uh, the hundreds from thousands, literally, photographs that uh, when I first met him, when they first started dating, he always had a camera with him around his neck. I, I can't remember when he didn't. You know what I'm saying? And so he even said, uh, you know, there, I've, I managed to go through the thousands of pictures and cut it down to 300. <laughs> but it was the most beautiful memorial and the most beautiful combination or mixture of laughter and tears. And, you know, I shared in the laughter and the tears. And I have to say that's the only place that I can recall where, you know, I had the, 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 those kinds of emotions because of my perspective of what and what you said earlier he's not gone in in the case of your your son he isn't gone he's just changed form and yeah you can't reach out and touch him and hold him and hug him and those kinds of things i was hearing my sister talking to me not not in a lot of words just very simple hey richard 
everything's okay. It's okay. Everything's good. Everything's okay. Those kinds of things. More of sort of that, that encouragement. But my perspective that has grown, and I'd love for you to share with us a little bit more, is how um, in the West we have a real hard time dealing with the, I'll call it the departure. Bernie Siegel would be all over me if I used that term because when his wife died and we were talking about this, he says, why are you using the word transition? She died. Can't you use the word die? You know, so I sort of, a little homage to Bernie Siegel and say, yes, okay. But they're still with us. And, and that's something that is so hard for us to, to hold on to. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Um, yes. I um, Let me just first say that um, some things seem to affect the level of grief um, because both my mother and my father also passed on after my son, my mother, about a month ago from COVID. And I think it depends, uh, obviously, on the relationship, but but also the, the suddenness of it. I, my my son out of the blue in a terrible accident. My father was on hospice for five months and my mother was um, on hospice for a week, but had been in the hospital for a month. And the other thing that I think is really important is how hard it was for them to live. So when their body is wearing out, you know, my, both my parents were very elderly. Um, my mom wanted to keep trying. She, you know, she would try to take soup and she would try to take, you know, in a high energy, like a, a boost or an insure. But it was, it was clear that she was trying to do the right thing, but it was too hard for her. Hmm. So when she passed, I was very sad, but it wasn't like when my son passed. Um, with respect to your question, I have the same um, viewpoint, which you probably saw in my book that, um, that they're just somewhere else. And that became clear to me in so many different ways. Um, so my mother, like you, like your mother, like your sister, um, every once in a while will say something to me. Um, uh, and it's uh, just a phrase or a, or a, you know, that's gonna work or, you know, be careful. Um, and my son, I actually hear him speak and I can talk to him. Um, when in certain, um, when I'm in a wild place and I'm just sitting there and I focus on him. Um, also, um, some of the things that I, one of the things that someone told me early on in my grief was, you know, and this is in a poem, you have to watch for unusual occurrences because my daughter, who was a teenager, this is my friend talking, Phoebe, when, after she passed, you know, she loved birds and birds would come and look at me. And, and, um, and sit there in un very unusual ways. And I found the same thing with my son. It was like they were sending a message saying, you know, hi. Um, he, it, we, we walked out of the funeral home. There was a, a praying mantis sitting on the, on the blacktop. And I've lived in this area for my whole life, except for when I was away at school for a couple of years. And when we moved back east for two years, but essentially here I'm at the time, I've never seen a praying mantis before. And I saw, and he was just looking at us, like, you know, exploring, you know, exploring kind of an elsewhere. So, um, and then I saw another praying mantis, several others during this time period early on, like in the first three years. And then I began to notice 
these um, grasshoppers would appear in our house and we'd never had them before. And, and sometimes it was like on Christmas, you know, a grasshopper would appear on the stairwell. Um, so it seems like there were all kinds of signs that I could watch for if I was open to it. And they were really comforting. You know, the symbol that uh, they used at the memorial, and uh, my sister and I weren't super close, but we were close enough. I had a conversation with her in January. She passed in uh, late March. And um, we, you know, she, she, you know, everybody knew that, you know, she was uh, uh, in, on the last few weeks or months of her life. We got together at Christmas, for example, because this statement was made that this could be our last Christmas together, all of us. And, I, and of course, she was so chipper and she was so alive at Christmas. I'm thinking, nah, she'll be here. She'll be here for a long time, you know. But I found out, number one, that she never shied away from the hard questions. But number two, the symbol that they used at the, at the memorial, which I believe is probably one of her favorites, was a butterfly. And so now when I do see them, I, you know, obviously I can I think of her. Um, it's just, it's just very, very interesting. You're right about those signs, you know, being open to receiving those and saying, oh, well, thank you for showing up. It's great to see you, you know, or what have you, uh, or letting me know that you're here, that you're okay, that all is well. There's an interesting, um, an interesting, uh, a process known as LBL or life between lives. It's a, it's a conscious hypnosis process of sort of past life regression where, uh, um, for example, I went through it myself. We have a practitioner here in Santa Barbara. Then he took me back to my life just before this one and then up to my passing, my death. And then it's that space between that death and this birth of this life that they take you through in terms of uh, sometimes they hang around on the planet with the families for a little while just to see how things are going. And I kind of figured my sister was doing the same kind of thing because that hard question that I asked her, I says, so are you ready? I mean, are, are you really ready? And she said yes and no. And I'm going, Jeanette, really? <laughs> and she says, well, no, because of my husband, because of her mm -hmm. husband. She didn't want to leave him. But she says, otherwise, yes, I am ready. I'm at peace. And she was at peace with this. And she, as, as her husband would talk about, and I remember this as a kid growing up with her, her laugh was so big, not in terms of loudness or size in that regard, but she, you would see both rows of her teeth when she laughed. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about the... The, the, the characteristics, the personality of your son and, and, and how that shows through his photographs, because I know that this must have gone through your, your mind, too, as you're looking through the photographs. I'm, I'm looking through his eyes now. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. So um, there's so many things to say. Um, he, he always loved machines, um, which little boys do, but it was extreme. Mm -hmm. One time we went to Hawaii and all we want to do is sit on the backhoe in the vacant lot, you know, while we were there. Um, but his, as he grew, he, he was a very calm person and just things did not, um, upset him or flutter him. He would just, 
uh, just say that's that's okay. It'll it'll work out. Um, he had a very strong sense of responsibility to uh, his country, and um, at the time we were in a in a war in Iraq, and um, we you know we hoped that he would not in, uh, enlist, and we my my husband and I um, tried to explain to him what we what we felt, and we had a number of arguments about it. Um, although we, I obviously respect all the people who did fight in that in that war, and he decided, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna please um, please myself and help my parents by um, enrolling in the National Guard, and he did that, and then he was and then their unit was called to Iraq, where he drove um, drove convoy drove convoy boys, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, and the reason he did that was because he felt that he needed to give back to his country. Um, and then there's this other side of him that was that felt like most of him, which was his deep love for nature. I mean, he was always planning an, a new ice climb or, um, you know, when he um, uh, climbed Denali, you know, he he had to sit in a tent for. I think two days to wait through the storm and it was minus 40 degrees. So it was, you know, he was, he was such an adventurer um, and he planned to call to climb all the 14ers, all the 14,000 peaks and above in California. So, um, and he, he was just a really fun person when he, when he passed, we had um, a, a, a mass, a church service and then we realized that there were so many people that wanted to participate in some kind of memorial that some friends helped us plan it. And there were like 400 people that came, you know, and he was, you know, he was 24 years old. So it was, he was um, a person that people love to have as a friend. Hmm. Well, I have to say that I met a woman at my sister's memorial. Now, whether they stayed in contact uh, since uh, their college days, I don't know. But she was my sister's dorm mate, and she oh came God. to the memorial. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there were people who afterwards talking about how how much she helped them through certain periods and so forth. And the one thing that really struck me was through all of her illnesses, throughout all of her life, she started out as a kid with asthma and then took up the French horn. I mean, who does that? I mean, come on, you, you don't you got enough oxygen just to hang in there with your lungs the way they are. And you're going to take up a wind instrument. you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. they, they, they've the, my mother and my sisters have told me she was never bitter, never. Or at least she didn't show anybody. Um, and that's quite remarkable when someone's going through things like that. I don't know. Maybe she was holding on to the, <clears throat> the example in the story of Job in the Old Testament, you know, you know, fine, go ahead, whatever, you know, I'm here, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm still going to smile through it, you know, cause I'm still alive, you know, and I can make a difference in the world. Um, so quite extraordinary. And it sounds to me like, and especially with what your son has left behind in, in the way of the photographs. I would venture there are probably tens of thousands of photographs yet to be seen. Are you thinking about putting together maybe a, 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 
context here, a photo album of his work, because I think that would be pretty spectacular to see all of these different sites and places that he has been and seen. And then we're able to look through his eyes. Yeah, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. that is a great idea. I mean, uh, he, he <clears throat> now, did he just love taking photographs or was this something more than just a hobby for him? Um, so he um, loved taking photographs, but it wasn't he, he what he was trying to do was capture which photo which photographers I imagine many of them do capture the feeling that he was having right then um, so that he could he could see it again. And and he was out so much in the mountains that there are you know so many amazing and incredible scenes, especially because he didn't go to many of the places that most people that are easy to get to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <clears throat> so it, it is a, um, I, I wouldn't say it's, a, it wasn't exactly a hobby. It was more of a um, expression of his, of his soul. More of a passion. Yeah. A passion. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say the same thing. And I, I would take photographs. Now I was only primarily doing black and white, especially in my, uh, semester college of photo semester class of photography it was black and white, and uh, I'm curious, did he process his own uh, images? No, he didn't. So he would send it out to Photomat or or wherever, and they would print them. Back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I have to say, I loved that process of being able to take the film from the camera to the canister, develop it, then take it to the enlarger and print it. And, and run it through the chemicals and everything uh, and be able to see that. And what I would do, and I don't know if, uh, um, uh, as you did, what I would do, though, is I would take some of them and I would put them on a mat board and then I would turn it over and I'd tape to it a piece of uh, eight, by uh, eight and a half by 11 ruled paper and I would write a story based upon the image that I saw on the other side. And that's kind of what you've done here. You've taken these images and they kind of match up with a little bit with the poems. I want to continue talking about this with you. Milo Schaff is my guest. And again, the book is called Blown Into Now, Poems for a Journey. We'll talk about that as well as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for being with us, and I thank uh, <clears throat> Milo Schaff for being with us and sharing not only her story, but also the story of her son. Um, you said, uh, if I may ask, uh, I know you mentioned it earlier, how he passed? It, it was a tragic accident um, okay. that um, that he he was involved in, and um, it, it's hard for me to say more about that because That's okay. it was difficult. No. Um, but... Um, but one thing I will say about it was that um, the shocking way I heard about it, which was I was at home and my kids were in school and I was working from home and my husband was at his office and I got a phone call and the, I recognized the voice. It was the mother of a friend of mine. And she said, you know, I just want to tell you how sorry I am. And I said, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? And she said, I'm so sorry that Alex has passed. And I said, no, he hasn't. That's impossible. And and pretty, I quickly got off the phone and I started calling and I called police department and I called, you know, I heard there was a coroner's office and I 
nobody, nobody would tell me anything. They'd said, you know, we don't have that information or, you know, we can't share that information with you. And so I was pacing around my kitchen table um, and I felt like I was noticing this pain in my chest as I was making these phone calls. And, you know, I'm, I'm a physician and I thought, you know, I'm too young to be having a heart attack. And the, what I realized was my heart was breaking, you know? And so soon I, you know, my husband came home, I called him and we head over to where my son had been living. And, um, you know, we started, it was true, um, but it was just such a total um, terrible experience that um, I hope many people don't have to go through. It's yeah. so much easier when it's like with my mother, it's, you know, you can see that she's ready. Yeah. And my father, my father, who he was on hospice for five months and he was, um, he was in a hospital bed and he would, you know, sit there with his arms crossed and his, his legs stretched out and he had gotten the last rites like, you know, weeks ago. And he whispered to me, um, so my mother wouldn't hear, you know, why am I still alive? Um, and he, he was just waiting um, for it to happen. And finally it did, but, but he was, um, he was impatient. He was a surgeon, you know, and, he, and these things have to have to pass, get get done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I remember when I received the phone call. It was my youngest sister, and uh, at first, because I got the sense from her voice that it was going to be about my father. Now, my father is ninety one this year. Wow. Mother's 80, 80, She'll be eighty eight this year. And, um, of course, then she says, yeah, your sister Jeanette uh, just passed this morning, you know. And, you know, I, I kind of took that in. I suppose I was a little grateful that it wasn't my father, but I wasn't that grateful that it was my sister. But nonetheless, um, and I had an interview that I had in 30 minutes and I debated whether or not to cancel it or not. I went ahead with it and we actually incorporated it. So uh, I, it's been said to me that uh, it might have been a little too soon because of some of the things that I shared in the program. But for me, it was still I think it was cathartic. Uh, these programs are therapy for me anyway. So, <laughs> you know, so you're my therapist today. All right, okay. doctor. <laughs> uh, but um, I remember a conversation that was shared with me between my mother and my father. After my sister's passing, this was probably in the middle of April because it was the end of April when they had the memorial. <clears throat> now, my father is in excellent health. All right. His 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 vitals are all good. However, he has a little difficulty with his stability. Uh, I think he's now finally agreed to use a walker. Uh, he uh, is with guys. No, I don't need that. I can do just fine. You know, I, I know I fell down three times, but I'm fine. You know. Uh, he's got yeah. vision, which he's had vision problems all his life, just as I have. And then, of course, his hearing, you know, as, as, as the hearing goes. And they were having this conversation. And, and he says to my mother, who also is very cognizant of his health and well-being, I'm just so tired. I, I just, you know, it's kind of like what your father says. Why am I still here? You know, I, I don't want to, you know. So my mother turns to him and says, OK, so what are you going to die of? Because he's healthy, you know. But the one thing that really struck me when I was there for the memorial and I was staying with them, my father looked at me or in my direction. 
And I had absolutely no response for this. And I know you can relate to this. He says, parents aren't supposed to bury their children. Yeah. And I just sat there and I'm going, shut up, Richard. There's nothing you can say to that. There's yeah. no response. Right. Um, and they shared with me. Uh, oh, and one other thing. And I'm curious about this also for, from your perspective. One other thing that happened was l quite literally days before my sister's passing, she and her husband renewed their wedding vows after 40 years. Oh, my goodness. And my father went to the memorial. And apparently everybody knew that her time was coming. And supposedly one of my sisters related to me that, yeah, afterwards he went over and they hugged for the longest time. They just held each other for the longest time. And um, I'm wondering, do you feel that, without belaboring this point, do you feel that uh, at least while he was alive, you said all of the things that you wanted to say? Was there anything left unsaid to the human ear of Alex? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I, that's a really, really interesting question. But, and I haven't thought about that question, really, probably because I feel like everything was said. Mm. How, about, how about you? Did you? Did, oh, yeah. Did you, yeah. yeah. Uh, my sister and I, uh, matter of fact, that was interesting. Um, uh, one Mother's Day several years ago. Actually, it was, I think, 2020, uh, right after COVID, uh, the lockdown. <clears throat> we set up a, a Mother's Day Zoom meeting with all the family. And my sister Jeanette would zoom in and out because they had horrible Internet at their place. But it was that conversation I had with her this year in January about that hard question and other things, as well as, you know, the conversation I had with her at Christmas where I was there in her presence. We didn't talk anything about how how, how her illness was or anything. We talked about all bunch, a bunch of other stuff. And I have mm -hmm. to say that was one of the best Christmases I can remember, a family Christmas ever. Especially because my youngest sister, she put it all together. She choreographed the whole thing. It was unbelievable. But no, I, you know, I, I would, I, and I, I share this with my, uh, my uh, uh, remaining oldest sister, Cecilia, who, um, when we have conversations, and I talk to her a lot now, a lot more than I used to, but we still were communicating. And I end the conversations every time we say, hey, I love you, sis. And she says, I love you too. And, and meaning it. And knowing that, you know, we're all going to leave these these suits one day and rejoin uh, those family members and friends and relatives and so forth. Um, yeah. How has you know what? I'm going to hold that question. I want to remind our listeners we're talking with Milo Schaaf and we're talking uh, Milo Schaaf, isn't it? Milo Schaaf. Milo Schaaf. Yeah. And she has. <clears throat> uh, collaborated, so to speak. Uh, well, actually, it is a collaboration with your son. Uh, he was the photographer. Beautiful pictures. I, I, I especially like the cover. You have this tent out in the middle of the whiteness of the snow, uh, which is kind of how we feel sometimes. Blown yeah, into now, poems for a journey here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I want to ask you, um, Milo Schaff, uh, in regards to 
your faith because you mentioned that you had held a mass. So that kind of tells me that uh, uh, either you were born and raised Catholic or you converted or what have you. But uh, how has all of this changed, affected, uh, or even diminished for that matter? How has it affected and so forth your personal faith? So, um, so I was uh, raised a Catholic, um, and um, over time have come to appreciate the universal universality of um, of religions and how much they have in common. Although there are obviously huge differences. So, um, what what I how I would respond to that is that I think it's deepened my faith in in the spiritual aspect of religion that um and the um the wonderful i guess you'd say morality underlying um religion as um when it is correctly understood not not you know going on crusades and you know killing people of other faiths but but the idea that you try to live a, a good life and a right life and you try to help people and 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 share what resources you have and lying is not good and you know those things that that um are really qualities almost i would say spiritual qualities that underlie everything and so the past the passing of alex has deepened my belief in um that you know we are not alone and there's something after this and something before and there's a reason we're here um even though we we may not always see it um so yeah it's it's it has really contributed to my understanding of what's important and do you think that that's one of the things that these processes are sort of designed to do is to get us focused back on what is important as opposed to quite honestly the minutia <laughs> that that uh, we get through our uh, and i'm going to use the term screens because that encompasses just about everything that we take in as far as uh, something external uh, online do you think that maybe that's kind of the design to keep us focused on what's important? I, I think you're right. You know, these, these um, in losing, um, you kind of refocus and, and you think to yourself, you know, what am I doing? You know, what, what is worth doing? Um, yeah. Yeah. I know that uh, I don't call my parents quite as often as necessarily that I... I I don't know that there's necessarily a should or a correct number of times, but I know one day, and I've thought about this for the last few years, I'm going to get that phone call. Um, and I know that in the conversations that I have had with my parents, um, I think that my father, I, I, I have a feeling that he would follow right, almost right behind my mother if she were to go first, whereas my mother uh, who is still able to take care of, are you ready for this one, her great-grandchildren, who are probably six and uh, five or six or seven or eight years old or ten. I can't, I can't keep track anymore. 
you yeah. know, I don't know that great uncles are supposed to keep track. But anyway, uh, but she, I have a feeling she'll probably she would probably go on for a number of years after in spite of missing. But I'm also very familiar with that concept, uh, as as you described earlier, uh, the broken heart syndrome. Um, when my when my first wife's parents passed. Uh, and of course, what really hurt me was the fact I was never notified. I was never told until several years later when I called my ex-wife just to kind of catch up. And then she told me, oh, yeah, my father, he died of an aneurysm that he'd had for years. I mean, long, long time that was inoperable. And then four months later, his wife, my, my former uh, mother-in-law, she passed. Uh, and again, they, they even declared it as a, she died of a broken heart. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is that is something that that you experienced as far as the physical as well as emotional. But you're still here. Um, do you feel that uh, uh, there's there's part of you that now feels sort of a a need? I don't want to say a responsibility uh, uh, because it's always a choice to sort of share. Alex, with the rest of the world? I, I don't... I, perhaps. I... I um, actually, yes. Um, because that's why I look for his photographs and put them with the book. Otherwise, it could have been just poems. Um, but I wanted them to know how... Um, what kind of a person he was and what he loved and the scenes he saw. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, that's correct. Yeah. But what, what you're saying is that um, I think what you're saying is that your mother um, has um, connections that she doesn't feel are time to leave. Right. Whereas, whereas your father doesn't, doesn't take, I'm assuming he doesn't take care of the children the same way. Oh no, he doesn't have the physical capacity to. Yeah. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, uh, when I was visiting then, um, uh, he would tell me how he's very frustrated over the fact that she's having to take care of the kids. And these, this is when uh, one of them was still a toddler, you know, and all of this, and that she was just being run ragged. And yet she still had all this energy, but yeah, she was feeling it, you know. And he said, I just wish that, you know, that, you know, she would tell, you know, her granddaughter, you need to find somebody else to take care of these kids, you know, because she's just running ragged. And I said, well, you do know that you can say no. He said, yeah, I know, but she won't do that because that's my mother. My mother is being a grandmother slash great grandmother. Yeah. That's what she that's who she's always been with us and so forth. Uh, so it's it's hard to let that go. It yeah. really is. But I, but, but, um, I wonder if. Um, I mean, I think that's why I'm, I broke my, my heart broke, but I, I stayed around. We have two more, two other children. Yeah. You know, my parents were still alive. So, um, and uh, soon after that, I had to do a lot of caretaking of my parents. So, yeah. Oh, and, and I have to tell you that I, I remember <clears throat> with my second wife, uh, my present wife, second and present, by the way, also my last wife, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Um, she went through, um, uh, uh, 21 years ago, she went through a process where she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, went through the surgery, and then went through the chemo, and I became a caregiver. 
I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was getting myself into yeah. or any of that. And yet I did it. Um, and I also was in communication with uh, the local cancer f- uh, uh, affiliation or a society association. Uh, just saying, look, you know, I, I, I'm just exhausted. This was like three months, four months in. You know, because I was also working. I was also going to work every day, too. <clears throat> and she was at home, and she was doing the chemo and just feeling horrible. And I knew there was nothing I could do for her as far as what she was experiencing other than just be there. And at one point, I said, I, I was invited for a weekend to go out to San Diego from Phoenix uh, to spend a couple of days just, just relaxing a little bit. And the woman at the uh, East, uh, East Valley Cancer Center said, go. You have to take care of you. You know, otherwise you can't take care of her. And my parents and neighbors across the street and on and on and on were all dropping by on a regular basis throughout the day to check on her. So it wasn't like she was alone, but I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, boy, that's so for you uh, to to take care of your your parents. I take it you didn't have any other siblings who were available to uh, support you in that regard. No, I didn't. It, yeah. Um, was it was it hard for you to to take that time away? It was at first, uh, but there was another part of it too. I had just started. Uh, um, I just learned how to drive. I was I was thirty six when I had a lens implant, which gave me the vision to be able to drive. I was legally blind up to that point. And so I was really excited about going to San Diego just to um, to take a solo trip um, across the desert to San Diego and so forth. My first was actually up to Vegas to the uh, National Broadcasters Association convention. Um, So I was I was and I remember walking along the beach one afternoon. It must have been a Saturday afternoon. And I just thought, wow, I, I really needed I needed this. And yet at the same time, there's that feeling of, God, I'm I'm sort of betraying her in one sense by not being there to take care of her. I mean, we even had the conversation where she says, well, if I let you go, I'll resent you the rest of my life. And if I don't let you go, you'll resent me the rest of your life. Now, on half of that, there was a rather interesting assumption that I would resent her if, I, if she didn't let me go or want me to go. But I certainly took the hint that she didn't want me to go. And yet yeah. I knew I had to. Yeah. Um, in, in ter- how long were you caregiving for your parents? So, um, toward the, um, uh, in the last, um, eight months of my father's life, he was, um, in the hospital several times and I would, um, my mother could still drive. Um, so she was able to help, but she needed me to, um, to work with all the medical issues and so forth. Um, and then when he came home on hospice for the last five months, um, he, um, we, my mother and I've tried to do it ourselves. And so I would work all day. And then I come back in, in the evening, at least three or four times a week. Cause I still had my kids, um, at home, um, and my husband working and, and I'm working, um, and, and I would take the night shift. And so I would sleep on the couch in the living room and, 
And when my father tried to get, he, he hated just being stuck in bed too in the night. And so we would try to get out of bed and then I would wake up and I'd go in there. And so it was, um, that was, that was difficult, but it wasn't as long as with my mother. Cause after my father passed, um, she began to have cognitive impairment. Mm. Um, and so I would, um, she only lived an hour and an hour, 15 minutes away, but I would try to make sure she had food and that, you know, she, we needed to um, have her only drive to church and, and then she had to stop her license. And then um, finally um, she never wanted to live in a supportive living community because she had um, had experience with those from friends and family. And she just wanted to be in her, in her apartment. So she said, I don't want someone, and I don't want anyone staying with me or, or coming in every day because I don't want someone staring at me as I'm just in my apartment. So it was um, a huge struggle, but finally she got into a supportive living and it was still um, having to, you know, make sure she was okay. There's a lot of, even though someone is in a place where they get food and, and so forth, there's so much more to it than just that, just supporting her emotionally and, and being there frequently and um, having meals with her and bringing her to our house for meals and doing all her, um, all her uh, legal and uh, stuff and becoming her, um, her co-trustee for the trust that she was in, et cetera. So it was, um, it probably went on for with my mother for about seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and I would venture that during those seven years, plus the eight months with your father, uh, there were those times when you wanted to get away for a little while. Had nothing to do with your feelings for your mother. It's just you were, were worn out. Or yeah. was there enough of a space because she was in assisted living that you, you did actually get regular times to yourself, for yourself? Well, when she was still in her apartment and she, I was worried that she would cook something and leave the stove on, or did she have any food or, you know, and I tried to get even people to assist her and she didn't want that. Um, so, so when she was in that situation, it was really hard because I felt I would frequently get phone calls. Um, so for example, if I was away from my house with my family, um, one time, I think we were in, um, uh, Salt Lake City, and I would get a phone call from the um, emergency room that she was back in the emergency room because she was having you know chest pain or something, and or she was coughing a lot, and she was very elderly. And I know that a lot of doctors don't give um, people uh, just for a cough an antibiotic, but I knew that she was going to go on to have bronchitis, and so I would be arguing with the physician in the emergency room. Um, so that was tough. But when, when I was, when she was in the supportive living environments, what was hard for me was not feeling guilty that I wasn't doing more, that I wasn't visiting more often, mm. that I wasn't um, bringing her flowers more, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell myself that um, what I was doing was good and um, it was okay. And, and she would say to me, I don't know what I would do if you weren't here, you know, thank you so much. So, so she was happy with it. But it was my own feeling that I had to do more, that I had to to kind of um, make it okay that I was doing enough. And that's that's a hard thing when you're 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 the child, you know, and, and it's your mother. And you remember how many years she took care of you, even when you were in college, you know, she would she would be there 
Um, then that was in the days when we didn't have cell phones. So, um, so we still had connections, but um, yeah, I think it's the giving yourself permission to do what you felt you could handle. Milo Schaff's my guest, and she has a beautiful book that you need to get a copy of, Blown Into Now, Poems for a Journey. Uh, talk to me <clears throat> about um, the journey uh, as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Milo Schaff's my guest, and the journey, uh, Poems for a Journey. And obviously, this is this is your journey. Um when did you first start writing poetry? Um, well, I did it um, a little bit uh, when I was, before I went to medical school. I, I graduated in journalism, and um, uh, the transition was I got really sick while I was working in a publishing house, and I ended up in the hospital. And uh, I had, someone came in in a white uniform, and tried four times just to put an IV in my arm. Ouch. And, yeah. And so I was stretching on my arm for the fifth attempt. And this was this was one person, and the, they got someone else to start trying. And I thought to myself, you know, this is really important. This is, um, if when I'm 80, um, I'm want, I want to look back on my life and say, this is, uh, my work made a difference. And I thought, yeah, I'm doing good work. I'm an editor in a publishing house, but, you know, the typos in these books are not going to matter as much as making sure that people get better and are, are treated correctly. And so that's when I went back to school and I had to go to school for two years because I didn't have science or three years and I didn't have any science or, or even the math prerequisites um, to, and I thought I'll be a nurse. So I studied all the time and I eventually did well enough that I and and wanted to be a doctor, and, and then that's finally what happened. Hmm. Um, what what's your specialty? Internal medicine. Ah, yeah. Well, that encompasses everything under the skin. <laughs> I know it's too big. <laughs> if I was going to do it again. I'd be a specialist because they have far less to catch up on and read. Uh, would you? Would you? Uh, I've heard uh, jokes about specialists. Yeah, I <clears throat> I specialize in the left ear. Yeah, uh, right, right. I know nothing about the right ear. I can handle the left ear. That's it. And only what's yeah. inside. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, um, so, go ahead. So, so it was when my when I when my son finally when I, he passed that the poems just had to get written, as I mentioned. And that's when it became really serious. So um, what was it that uh, drew you to medicine in particular? your own personal experiences dealing with medicine? Uh, well, um, my father, as I mentioned, was a surgeon. And um, he would work every Saturday until noon. Um, and uh, so I didn't have, and then when I would visit him, sometimes a week we would go to the hospital and you have these white tile walls and it smells like like cleaning fluids, mm -hmm. you know, and and I thought to myself, you know, I, I'm never going to work in this. I'm never going to do anything like this. I'm going to be outside. I'm going to be whatever, or you know, maybe a writer because I wanted because I graduated in journalism. Um, but then when I got sick, I, I think um, there are a couple reasons people go into different fields. First, um, what your passion is, right? And that's when I found my passion. But secondly, what 
you've seen people accomplish. So my mother was a nurse and my father was a doctor. And it's sort of like, oh, I kind of know what that's like. So, you know, maybe I could do it too. Uh, and so that's that's what, it, what happened. And then I actually, from internal medicine, have been doing a lot of global health work. Um, and that, that story was my kids were, I was a chaperone on a kid's trip to Mexico where, where they were invited to um, build, they were teenagers and they were invited to help build a community center by local people in a Mexican town. And, and the person who was leading the trip said, well, why don't you bring your stethoscope and bring some medicines like antibiotics and some pain medicines and let's see if we can help anybody. And I thought, okay. Um, and we were, we were in standing in this, um, this unfinished building, which had cement walls and a cement floor and no roof. And the patients heard that there was a doctor on the trip. And so they came. And so we, we pulled out this, you know, broken down table and a couple chairs and we had a clinic and that was the start of um, my global health work mm -hmm. um, to work with local doctors or public health officials to figure out how I could assist with either, um, you know, some clinical care, but mainly trying to help the local doctors with whatever they needed done. Um, and um, that's what I'm working in partly now is, is working in a medical center with students who want to do global health work. Well, I have to applaud you for your, uh, shall we say, stick to if you will, your commitment in that regard, um, in spite of, or maybe it is actually because of, the passing of your son. It's like you are carrying on his legacy in that regard, and as well as through the book, um, Blown Into Now, which uh, again, I, I can't occur, I cannot encourage our listeners enough to go out and pick up a copy. And is it available uh, on uh, uh, Amazon and those kinds of outlets or just through your website? Um, so um, it's available through a website called Blurb, blurb.com. Blurb. There, it, it blurb, B-L-U-R-B. Um, but if you go to my website, um, it, it, which is being transitioned now to um, to giving more information, um, the um, the book with the photos, as you know, photo books are a little bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. But I'm having it I'm having it transitioned to an ebook, which should be available on Amazon. Um, and uh, and then again, the link will be on my website. Okay. So it's available now through Blurb as a, a soft cover um, with the photos, mm -hmm. and then soon it will be available. Um, through Amazon on um, in an ebook. Well, I, I have to say that uh, only half the book would be uh, suitable for Audible. <laughs> only half the book because you can't really you can't describe the pictures because it's it, it it's yeah. insufficient. You actually have to look at them and yeah. experience them in that regard. And uh, um, but I think it would be really great uh, not only if the half that is yours the poems. Uh, was part of Audible, uh, was recorded, uh, but also, as you even alluded to, uh, boy, it would be kind of cool to see some of these or hear some of these put to music. And I actually yeah. have a, I have, actually have a friend who, uh, when you said that, I'm thinking, hmm, that would be kind of interesting to take her yeah, poems. Give me, give me his name. <laughs> I will. I'll give you her name. Her name. <laughs> and uh, I've even, I've even taken. As a matter of fact, I wrote, actually, it's not my first song. It's my second. But my very first song, if you will, was written back in the 90s. But it was a poem that I wrote. 
And as I'm reading the poem, the, the music just came, you know. Uh, and if this was uh, the, the, the poem was written about uh, 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 these experiences that I was having within this personal growth program uh, back in Phoenix called, um, uh, I think at that time it was called Delta Vector. It's now called Omega Vector, having to do with the zero point and, and all things good that, that make us who we are and, and so forth. And it was like, uh, I think the lyrics, I'm still looking for the lyrics. I know the sheets somewhere. I'll find it. Uh, Three nights in a weekend is all we had together. Now, it kind of sounds like a love song, but it was three nights in a weekend that I spent with this one person in this buddy group. And we were together in this dyad for three nights in a weekend. And uh, and so the song goes on. But uh, no, I think that would be very cool if, if um, and I'll tell you what, I will, I will give you her name and her information. I'll give you her contact information and maybe you can touch base with her and see what, uh, see what she can do. And who knows, maybe she and I will collaborate together to, to, to create some, some, uh, some good uh, music. And I know too, um, we talk about uh, uh, people participating in the decade of perfect vision, which, which means basically we encourage people to go within and listen to that still small voice. How has your, not just inner life, but that inner voice, how has that helped you through these, through these days, weeks, months, and years? Not just with the passing of your son, but even back further with, uh, or I shouldn't say further, uh, but also including uh, maybe the passing of both your mother and your father, and just making it through day to day and saying, hey, you know, I am still here. I do want to be here, especially for my kids and my husband. Um, and there's still a lot more I want to do. So please guide me. Yeah, so I think that's a that's a really interesting question about the inner voice. And when I was looking back at my poems and thinking about um, talking to you today, um, I, I, I started thinking about inflection points. The things that, and you know, what is an inflection point? It's it's a mathematical model where um, things go from concave to convex. So the curve changes from positive to negative or negative to positive. Or it's um, a, a time when something moves you in a different direction, according to the dictionary, when we're not talking about mathematics. So when I think about why the poems were written and um, what I learned, in, in, in that moment um, that the, the poems, mo- many of them represent a moment in time where something happened and I looked at it and I thought, you know, this is what I learned. So that moment of walking around the kitchen table when I heard my son was passing. And one thing I wanted to back up and say is that it was very kind of my friend to call. So I don't mean to say that um, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate it, um, but it was just the shock. Um, so when my heart was broken, that that was like, oh, you know, this is a heart can break. Um, and, and this is part of the trajectory of our lives and what happens to our hearts when we love people. Um, and then um, another inflection point was um, when I mentioned seeing the... Um, the um, outside the funeral home and I saw the praying mantis, it was... Um, oh, I have to pay attention to what's going on around me and if there are messages in my, my, in my environment. And so I think that's what I think of as my inner voice. It's, it's looking at these 
these um, incredible moments that were were so so unforgettable. And what did I learn, and how did that take me forward? So I think that that's really true. Blown into now, poems for a journey. My Milo Schaff. That's M Y L O S C H A A. F.com. That's the website. And of course, um, I like this. She welcomes travelers, lovers, you who have lost, you who need uh, wilderness or find passion in words. And uh, some of her poems and writings are journeys and others are moments that leap from the memory into meaning. Wonder, loss, and truth are the forces that arrest my, her attention and compel her to write these poems that she's provided to you. Is this your first work of poem, uh, poetry? It is, yeah. How do you feel? How did you feel when you uh, put your hands on that for the very first time? I was, I was um, transported. I was, you know, after 12 years of work, and let me just say this is published by Blue Light Press, um, and then the printer is blurb. Um, after so many years, and, you know, I had I had written one book earlier for children, and that was published, but, you know, publishing is so complicated now because, and, and good and bad, because there's there's all these different platforms and, and ways to self-publish, et cetera. But, um, but I was, I was, incredibly happy um I, I think we're getting close to the end do i have time to read one poem i actually that was where i was headed next i wanted okay. you to share with us one that that um you felt you should read and share with us today so where in our hymnals should we turn <laughs> this is page 15 all right page 13 14 15 Oh, wow. And I love the image. Uh, uh, that's uh, no, and that's the wrong one. Page 15. How about that one, Richard? I like that one, too. The uh, sun. I don't know if that's a sunrise or sunset. Hazy skies. Beautiful. And this is the poem that you want to share with us called Promise of the Elements for All Who Mourn. Go ahead. So as I read, think about what what is an element. It's it's a, a part of weather, right? So think about what I'm reading. Which element? And when you cry, I will find you. When you're breaking or empty and you can't speak, close your eyes, lean your head back, feel my silver fingers loosed from above to wash free your fears. Or call to me when I climb on a northern wind or when I dive like a seabird uncaged Always I will come by summer's end, a cloud of plush, thick on meadow grass, to quiet you with a blanket. Or when someday the white, gray, and black shiver and dissolve, I will make you warm. I will return with unwalked sand, with streaming jubilee sky, with a ribbon of pelicans, that skim the waves like kites. May these offerings open you like a diamond knife, open again a light. Mm. 
I know that uh, it's really important to go back and reread things of this nature, especially with the potentials for the symbolism, the metaphor, and all of those wonderful things. I was watching a documentary about the uh, Don McLean song, American Pie, and he went through the lyrics to dis to talk about what each of the lines meant, what it was referring to, and so forth. I just find that fascinating sometimes. But what I don't find so fascinating is when people argue about the meaning behind. Uh, I was watching a family guy where uh, <clears throat> Stewie and Brian, the dog and the little baby, were arguing over Anne Murray's song, uh, I think it's Snowbird, and what it really meant. And it's like, you went to Anne Murray... She gave you the explanation, and you said she was wrong, and she's the one that wrote the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. people, I think it's really important because I know that you have a particular meaning, but to the reader, mm -hmm. how does that affect you? How does, how, how does that touch you? In what ways? What, what's coming up for you? And I think that's what's really so spectacular about art in particular is, is uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, awards programs for art, whether it's music or, or stage or whatever it is, because it's so subjective. It's, it's what you see and or hear and or feel. And, uh, yeah, we can get the, the creator's story behind it. Sure, that's great. You could share with us, oh, gee, well, this line, it, it was, I, it, I meant this and I meant that. And that's a wonderful thing, but that's also for you because you created it. But how is it touching me? You know, and so there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to the listener or the viewer. And that's, to me, that's a beautiful thing. Right. Um, I also just wanted to mention that um, writing is such a release, mm. which, which you have felt, and anyone who is kind of lost and 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 thinking about a loved one, um, any form of writing, even sort of you know just writing anything your comes into your mind, can be can be so helpful. Yeah. We are talking with Milo Schaff, and we are talking about her book. Blown Into Now, Poems for a Journey here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Milo, I want to thank you so much for giving us so much time here on the program. This has been wonderful, and I know you started out at the at the beginning of the program uh, very nervous, but you uh, you did a beautiful job. You're, you don't seem very nervous now. No. I feel it's very really comfortable. fun to talk to you. Well, thank you, and uh, that's what we try to do. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, none of this is drug-induced. Okay, this is all natural. <laughs> <laughs> to steal a Steve Martin line. Um, and uh, I am so grateful that uh, you've given us the time to talk with, uh, talk with you about what obviously uh, was, uh, uh, maybe still is from time to time, a, a bit of a painful experience in terms of both losing your son as well as your mother and your father. Um, I, have, uh, I grew up in a family of eight. Um, and so we had uh, two older sisters. I had two older sisters, two younger sisters, and a younger brother, and then, of course, my parents. And I've known for a long, long time that one day I'm going to get those phone calls, and I've already received the first. I hope that it's a long time before I receive any more, but I know they're coming. And I also know. They're not gone. They're, they aren't going to be gone. They're just, it's like 
my dear friend Ramona, who I used to call all the time. She passed away in March. It's interesting now. March seems to be that month, I guess, for me. Uh, but she passed away a couple of years ago in March, I think right before the uh, pandemic. Or maybe, uh, no, I, I take that back. Anyway, there are times when there's something I want to talk to her about, and I, I get ready to pick up the phone and punch speed dial, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. She's not, she's not there. Or at least she's not there via the phone. And so, oh, uh, okay. And then I just start, Ramona, um, what, what? And then I just kind of listen. I listen inside. And then that little voice inside kind of gives me the, the, the guidance and so forth. So I would take it that you're experiencing that with both your son as well as your mother and your father. Or no, anybody my... else that you've been close to that you have uh, had that has departed. Yeah, it's it's most strong with my son. Um, maybe it's the mother son connection, mm-hmm. uh, mother child connection. But yeah. um, but yes, with my with my mother as well. Yeah, I think my father is onto his next thing up there. Um, so he's pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, there's there's a time of rest, okay, uh, and then yeah. there's cl- uh, there's uh, the review. I don't know if you've seen the movie with Albert Brooks and uh, Meryl Streep, um, uh, where that they go through the life review, and um, she is having the time of her life, eating whatever she wants, not gaining weight. He is scared out of his mind because he's afraid that uh, he's going to get the chair after reviewing his life because he's afraid that there's such judgment, and it's like, no, no, no. We just want calm down, you know. Um, And then there are, believe it or not, then there are classes. This is from the LBL, uh, from uh, Dr. Newton's work and study. Um, And and then uh, they are they encourage you to come back. Uh, Are you a a believer at all in reincarnation? Yeah, Yeah. I am. Uh, Otherwise, it doesn't make sense how unevenly things are distributed. Yeah. In this life. Yeah. I heard a statistic this morning, uh, this is sort of in the material world, um, about how many millionaires there are now in this country alone. Uh, And I couldn't believe the number, but, hey, you know, it's entirely possible any one of us, yourself included, could be a millionaire somewhere down the road, if you're not there already. 20 million millionaires in this country right now. Wow. And I'm going... I want to get on that bandwagon, you know, just so that I never have to worry about when I go to the store and I need to get something, am I going to overdraw my checking account? I don't want to use credit. (laughs) It's like I've got the wherewithal and I can help people, you know, and that kind of thing. So I thank you so much. This has been a real joy. Yeah, for me too. I really appreciate talking to you. and, And I do have three final questions that I ask all of my guests. Okay. And I will ask those of you in just a moment. But first, I want to thank you for listening and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. And we are also here on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And um, we are podcasting these at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations across the Internet. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And I encourage you to subscribe because if you do, 
you'll be notified every time there's new content posted at either of those channels, the Tell Me Your Story channel on uh, the various uh, podcast sites or on YouTube. We also ask that if you can support us financially, we would be gratefully appreciative of that. We have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And uh, we also ask you to participate in the decade of perfect vision that we mentioned earlier. We want you to go spend some time going within and listening to that still small voice and I encourage you to follow the promptings. Your still small voice may challenge you, but it will never, ever put you in harm's way. I promise you of that. Uh, and um, it's, it, it doesn't necessarily make your life easier, but it gives you a sense of peace knowing that, ah, I, I was prompted to turn left. I did. And okay, little challenge here, but I'll make it through because I listened, because I followed. So Take the time to do that and get that encouragement, that inspiration, that uh, uh, education sometimes, if you will. With that, we now move to the three questions that I love asking each one of my guests. <clears throat> and one of these days, so having been doing this for almost 15 years, uh, Milo, I may put together a book of everybody's responses to these three questions. Uh, in the meantime, the first of those three questions is, who is Milo Schaff? Mother, wife, writer, poet, um, doctor, and a person who follows her inner voice. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I want to get these poems out to help as many people as I can. And finally, what is your life's purpose? To love. Well, Milo, again, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. And uh, we wish you uh, much success in uh, the distribution and uh, uh, the exposure to others of the book uh, Blown Into Now, poems for a journey and uh, we really appreciate once again the time that you've given us today thank you so much i really appreciate talking to you the website once again milo shaft that's m-y-l-o-s-c-h-a-a-f and uh, i uh, thank you for listening to and watching tell me your story new paradigms for a new world as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true until our next broadcast podcast video cast Love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening. <laughs>